It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, some WhatsApps are already coming into us at 086 2103103 and I'm already getting some texts and commentary in saying not before time the news that uh, Tesco is cutting prices on hundreds of uh, products with other retailers now saying that they are reviewing their prices and I heard the Minister for Finance Michael McGrath this morning when he was asked about the Tesco price cuts he's saying that this could be a significant turning point for grocery uh, costs because the other retailers are reviewing their prices. Now, Tesco have announced uh, prices on average about 10% will be cost. There's more than 700 products that they've identified that they're going to cut prices uh, on. And that is sure now to spark a response from the likes of Dunn Stores, Supervalue, Little and uh, Aldi. And it looks like we could have a little bit of a supermarket price war and as you know one listener is saying not before uh, time and this what Tesco have announced is a major step up on the recent cuts that were announced we have in recent weeks seen own brand bread butter and milk there was cuts on all of those and again it took one supermarket to announce they were cutting butter the rest followed suit Another supermarket said, we're cutting the price of bread. The rest followed suit. And it was the same with the own brand milk. So now it's expected what Tesco are doing. Uh, the rest will uh, follow uh, suit. And certainly, as, as I said, one listener said, it's not before time. And it couldn't have come at a better time because... Um, the latest research from Kandar, we spoke about this last week or the, or the week before, Kandar are the ones that follow all of the supermarkets, the prices in the supermarkets. But more importantly, their survey follows what we as shoppers do. And they were showing, you know, how we were switching from own from branded products to own brand products. It also shows how we were shopping around. We were moving from one supermarket to the other supermarket. And lately... It's also been showing that we're, a lot of people are moving away from doing the one big family shop every week and instead they're going to the supermarkets more often but they're buying smaller amounts. But the last survey out from Kandar, which was to do with grocery prices up to the middle of May and it showed that there was a 16.5% rise in grocery prices in the 12 weeks up to the 12th of May when you compare it with the very same period last year. And what that meant was if you were buying 
the very same items and the very same amount of items every week what you were buying last year. If you were doing the very same, weren't changing supermarkets, you weren't changing any of your brands, you were sticking with the same brands, it would mean for a typical family you would be spending an extra €1,200 across the year. And that's a lot of money when you think of everything else that is going up in uh, price. And rising food prices has become a major concern for households. And there was another uh, survey that I read recently. It was the one from Ampost Money. And they did a survey showing that six out of every 10 people admitted that they were worried about their grocery bills. Now, up to now, supermarkets have battled to maintain their market share and they've done that by cutting the three stables that we mentioned, milk, bread and uh, butter. But the items going down that Tesco are announcing today, they include a lot of the grocery staples, but they also include items under health and beauty products. And a lot of the items under health and beauty products have really, really shot up in price. We were only talking a few weeks ago about the price of deodorant and how expensive that was uh, gone. So the range of goods uh, that will be cheaper from today, they vary anything from a packet of oven chips to toothpaste right down to a pizza. And it also includes toilet ro- rolls and toilet rolls are something that everybody had noticed was going up in uh, price. Only one third of the goods that prices are to be cut on are the own brands. So they're also reducing the branded goods as well. For example, there is 50 cent coming off the uh, price of a packet of nappies and for anyone out there with young uh, children and you can have more than one child still in nappies you can go through a lot of nappies it mightn't sound like a lot but when you add that 50 cent to all the other items that are coming down it could be a bit of a saving on your food shop this week Uh, also things like Flahaven's porridge that's been reduced by 14 cent One that I saw that's a fairly uh, big cut was the Pro Formula Sensitive Toothpaste. Now, I'm assuming, is that a Tesco-owned brand toothpaste? I don't know. Uh, It had been €2. It's going down by €0.75 to €1.25. And if you're a fan of sweet potato oven chips, they're going to be reduced by €1.11. They're coming down to €2.19 and that's a a fair bit of a cut. Tesco's commercial director is a guy called Joe Manning. He said that they're working to invest in helping families by cutting prices on hundreds of products. Isn't that very kind of Tesco? He said Tesco was working closely with their suppliers to manage their input inflation and their cross price pressure. And he says that as their costs are reducing from the suppliers, they're now able to pass these savings on to uh, the customers. But those comments are likely to raise questions from farmers because farmers are always concerned that they end up having their margins reduced every time the price of food items are uh, cut. So we'll wait and see what will uh, come out from the Irish Farmers Organisation because I know they have already been uh, worried that food price inflation will go through the roof roof and that's they say as a result of tighter environmental rules which they say could threaten food uh, production but we'll wait and see what the farmers and the other food producers have to say uh, about it but as I say there's a lot of items it isn't just 
the food stables, health and beauty products are also to be reduced. So I take it that is a bit of good news for us as consumers. Your thoughts welcomed. Bernie in Ballinine uh, when listening to me talking about the 700 items that are to be reduced in price by Tesco says, I still believe Dunn stores are the best when it comes to uh, prices. Well, let's see. Well, certainly on the last Kandar supermarket survey, uh, when they because they always look at the grocery share, Dunn's came out as the highest grocery share, followed very closely by Tesco, though super value, and then it was Little and um, Aldi. Let's see how many of the 700 items that have been reduced by Tesco uh, will done super value, Little and Aldi also uh, follow suit. Thank you for your text, uh, Bernie. I mentioned we're going to be discussing later on, uh, w- w- speaking with the secondary school teacher who believes that the summer holidays are too long for secondary schools. Somebody says, Patricia, schools don't close for three months. They only get two months off, end of June to the end of August. That's primary. What we're talking about is uh, secondary schools. And actually this secondary school teacher, that's exactly the point she's making, that the secondary school holidays should align themselves with primary so that the secondary school pupils should have the same amount of time off as the primary just closed for the two months of um, all of July and all of August. So they they would end up in June and then go back in uh, September. Your thoughts, by the way, welcomed on uh, that, particularly if you have teenagers at home at the moment on the start of the long, long uh, summer holidays. Uh, Your thoughts are welcomed 0818 103 103. And let me stay with schools because Noreen in Crookstown has sent me on a photograph um, to say that while stopped at a pedestrian crossing outside our national school, and I'm assuming this is the national school in Crookstown this morning, this Audi overtook me and then overtook the bus that's in front of Noreen and continued on regardless. And they were stopped at a pedestrian crossing. Simply can't understand her carelessness. So Noreen got to see it was a female and I'm hoping it wasn't one of the mothers dropping a child uh, off. But Noreen is making the point with so many children around and drop off at school time. You nearly need eyes in the back of your head because you know the way children are. They get all excited. They see their classmate across the road. But like this is a pedestrian crossing. So the bus had stopped. Noreen is behind the bus. And then this car just decided to uh, overtake. Now, unless... The driver wasn't aware, doesn't know the area and wasn't aware it's a pedestrian crossing. But I mean, I take it she could clearly see when she started to move out to overtake Noreen and the bus. Surely she could clearly see that there was a pedestrian crossing up in uh, front. That could have been a, a very, very serious accident indeed. So if you're that Audi driver who overtook our Noreen and the bus, then shame on you. You could have killed somebody this morning. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on C103. Now, following my chat with uh, Alison McCarthy yesterday, outlining the circumstances of her mother's death uh, during the COVID pandemic, we have been contacted by other families who were also left devastated by not being present for the passing of a loved one. And then we got this email in from Patrick. It says, hi, Patricia, it can't have been easy for Alison to tell her story yesterday of what happened to her beautiful mother, Alice. It's great credit to her for doing so and making the public more aware 
of how the deaths of loved ones during the COVID pandemic has impacted on the lives of their family members. The government has to do right by all families and put an independent, family-based led public inquiry in place to get their many questions answered and serious concerns addressed. What can be learned about all that happened in nursing homes, hospitals, all care settings will lead to a better understanding which will be beneficial to the welfare and safety of present and future residents and patients in all care settings. Care partners need to be made law as soon as possible so that the family bond will not be broken and no one will end up dying alone. Thank you for highlighting what has happened. And that's from Patrick. And during my chat with Alison yesterday, she mentioned the advocacy group Care Champions and what a great support they had been to her. We've spoken with Magella Beattie of Care Champions before and she once again uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Magella. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, Magella, I have to say, it seemed so cruel listening to Alison yesterday that she was forced to go to the Ombudsman in order to get the truth about what happened to her mother. Are many families left simply not knowing the circumstances of a loved one's passing? Absolutely. All the families that we support from all care settings are left in a situation where they themselves have to become investigators, you know, through FOIs and trying to develop a pattern of information, going to the Ombudsman. And unfortunately, our systems are so poor, you know, like the Ombudsman can't deal with clinical concerns. And then the question there is who can? So whilst it was great in this um, instance that I was able to highlight in Alison's case, you know, about the guards, uh, the call to the guards, um, there's huge questions to be asked, you know, because in the gap of safeguarding legislation, people are suffering. You know, when that call came through to the hospital uh, from the guards, it is just uh, mind-blowing that nobody can remember because that's not a daily occurrence. And that should have set off some sort of a safeguarding system within the hospital to find out why Alice had rang the guards and to address the issues and give her the support that she needed. And, you know, we can look at the, the whole system of poor recording, uh, etc. But the reality is we're talking about people. And, you know, how many people all over the country may have been in Alice's position and not able to pick up the phone? Yeah, and, you know, listening to um, Alison got to hear the recording, her mum speaking, and... And it was, it was, oh, and I didn't, I really was very conscious of how upsetting it was for Alison yesterday sharing her story. But you, you knew by what poor Alice, this 78 year old woman, was saying. She was in this hospital and she was afraid that the family didn't know where she was because she'd been moved from ward to ward. And she just, she, she was afraid of, of no one knowing where she was. And that to me was heartbreaking. Absolutely. You know, um, this thing of, you know, moving people so much in the middle of, uh, even though it was the third wave of the pandemic, raises questions in itself. But you would ask the question, you know, are they just taking people, like I know, um, you know, Alison referred yesterday, did they move her in her sleep? You know, it's people we're talking about and we're supposed to be providing a system of holistic care and person-centred care. So to be moving people 
without them fully understanding and being given the support of where they're being moved to. But in Alice's case, like, you know, like me, it's because chairs the way she was moving around to various different wards and rooms within wards. And then luckily, uh, Alice and her daughter had the foresight to write notes every time she was on to the hospital. And it was yeah. because of those notes, because at one stage, uh, when they were trying to check about this 999 call, they were looking, she, she was in a completely different ward to the ward that they were doing, trying to, you know, trying to find out. And it was only that Alison had written it down and had to go through all of her notes. So uh, there's, a, there's a good lesson. If you are uh, dealing with any care setting, write down everything, write, write down names of people that you're speaking to and try and get as much, just in case that you end up in a situation like this. And Magella, in order to grieve properly, do families need to know the truth, no matter how upsetting that information might be? Absolutely. You know, um, you look at the mother and baby homes, they set up a kind of like what they call a truth-telling process. And, you know, all families must be provided with a a full, transparent um, truth-telling process you know, it, no matter how bad a story is um, or an experience is, it's not going to be any worse than the trauma and the wondering and the fears that's already going through families' heads. You know, uh, you know, even there in, in Alice's case, which is hugely upsetting now, um, you know, Alison fully believed that there was two members of staff with her mum, and now it transpires that there wasn't. So... The truth is the truth. You can deal with the truth no matter how bad it is. And, you know, and that brings us right back to where people right across the country denied records, denied the truth, denied the, the, the important details of the person's experience as they were leaving this world. Yeah, and it's it's somebody's much loved mother, father, brother, sister, grandmother. It's just it's it's yeah. It 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 really just it breaks my heart. Are there any plans to review the circumstances uh, in which people died during the pandemic? I mean, I go back to Patrick's uh, email, you know, saying we need an independent, family based led public inquiry. Are there any plans for that? Um, well. The Taoiseach Theodore Arcard did announce in January that there will be a full and um, big public inquiry, but they have not engaged with us. They have not engaged with families. Only recently, um, I received another refusal from the Taoiseach to meet with families to actually understand what what families need and to hear their stories. So, how you can investigate? Um, how you can investigate what happened during the pandemic and put the the learnings in place for the future, for our future older selves. How you can do that without engaging and keeping the families at the forefront of that is, is beyond me, you know. Um, we, need, we need to be heard, you know. In order to go forward, you look at the families who are grieving. So what they need is they need the truth. They need access to records. They need to be able to sit down and say, okay, um, who was with mom here, there? When did the doctor see mom? Did they see them virtually or did they see them in person? You know, families are being told, um, uh, you know, oh, the doctor saw her or whatever. And when they go to the doctor, the doctor has no records. So they need to be able to be in a position that they are told the full truth. And then on top of that, there needs to be serious reform. So in our experience as families, 
what would have made life better and what should be put in place for present and future people is safeguarding legislation, number one. Everybody has the right to be protected and safe. The same as what we have for our children's services should be afforded to older people in any care setting. We need care partner, without doubt. You know, it's absolutely disgraceful that that hasn't progressed in any shape or form. Remind us the role of care partners and these operate in Northern Ireland, don't they? Yeah, it's in in place in Northern Ireland since uh, September 2020. Um, So basically, care partner is where um, a resident or a patient, a loved one or a close family member, they partner in care with the service providing care to their loved one. So they would go in and they would provide, no matter what would be happening, any sort of a virus or outbreak or, or whatever it is, they would, have the, they would have the legal right to go in and spend time with their loved ones, to listen to them, support them, take pressure off staff. Yeah. And also, not only would they provide, you know, the physical support to the person, there's the emotional connection. You know, it's the emotional connection and also safe eyes. You know, the eyes of families, is another layer of safeguarding for all people in a care setting, not just their own loved ones. Um, so it's really important that we start looking at, you know, putting in place a system that will uh, not only afford people their human rights, but provide people with a fuller, holistic sense of care in all aspects of their lives. You know, it's a very hard thing for anybody, if you were in hospital for six months or whatever, and you happen to be there during... Um, uh, a time of visitor restriction, it's very hard to be very sick and very unwell and not be allowed to have any access to somebody that you love. Um, so that's really important that comes in. Um, we need to have safeguarding social workers need to be uh, have legal right of access to all care facilities. Uh, and that should be a given, you know, at this point in time. And we also need political will and I like when we're, I know we're talking about Cork today. So when you look at Cork, the political will, looking for answers, looking for support for those who have lost loved ones in any care settings or suffered neglect, is absolutely appalling. You know, we had a, a meeting recently where all TDs were invited to hear families and to hear staff, whistleblowing staff from Cork, and only two Cork TDs showed up. You know, like Alison's story and the ombudsman and a lady ringing 999 hasn't even been mentioned in the doll. So, really, all of this goes back. We can all talk until the cows come home about what we need and how to fix the system. But until the political will is there, until local CDs are standing up and demanding justice, accountability and transparency... Where are we going? Yeah, and you're right. Families need to be listened to. I have another uh, family that want to join us. Stay there, uh, Magella. Uh, Christine has uh, contacted us following um, my chat with Alison yesterday. Good morning, Christine. Good morning. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm reading in your email as well. You're somebody else who's calling for a human rights-led uh, public inquiry. Your uh, uh, beautiful mother died in, she was one of the deaths that was recorded at the Care Choice in, in Ballynoe. What, what happened in your mother's case, uh, Christine? Um, yeah, my mum passed away on the 1st of February 2021 during the third wave of the pandemic. Um, like that now, we 
actually, we knew that there was a, a, an outbreak, but we were led to believe through emails that it was everything was under control, um, so that there was nothing to worry about, basically. So um, the week before my mum passed away, I was after, like, there was window visits, you know, you could go to the window and visit her. So myself and my daughter went to the window visit. She was, you know, she looked perfect. She was in great form, the whole, you know, and she was being vaccinated the following day. So we were actually delighted with that. We were saying, you know, you know, this could be the beginning of the end of the worry, you know, that mm-hmm. she's going to be vaccinated, she's going to be fine. So that following week, we got an email saying that um, there was visiting restrictions after coming in again, that there was no visits, no window visits, um, but everything was under control. So we were led to believe that, you know, I, I was led to believe that my mum would have been isolated in her room, so, you know, she was safe. So I heard nothing from the nursing home all that week and as I said I just thought alright she's fine everything is fine so on the 31st of January was a Sunday night I just decided I'll ring you know just to see how she's doing in general you know before you know hopefully we'll get back in to see her again Um. so when I rang there was there was a stranger came on the phone you know the way when you ring you'd get to know the voices and you'd get to know who the staff are but I didn't recognise this person's voice and I just asked him, how's my mum doing, Kathleen Thompson? And he said, um, oh, she's on, she's had a very bad night, she's on oxygen. And first off, I, I actually thought he was speaking about somebody else. So I said, no, I said, um, I'm speaking about Kathleen Thompson. Um, yeah, he said, are you her daughter, Christine? And... Panic started setting in, and I said, "Yeah." And I said, he, "I said, why? Why is she on oxygen? Why? What do you mean she's had a bad night? Oh, she has COVID." No, I was never informed before that that my mum had COVID. So I asked him, you know, please get me get me somebody to speak to, you know, a nurse, anybody just to speak to to let me know how she's doing. I can't, he said, um, because the way he put it to me was forty nine out of fifty residents had tested positive, and they were too busy, so ring back the following morning. So, in a panic, obviously, I just, I rang around the rest of the family and told them, I, I said, I don't know what's going on. So, obviously, after sleep this night, rang all the following morning, the afternoon. Um, I was just getting from a stranger again on reception. Um, they'll ring you back. They're busy. They'll ring you back. They're busy. Um, so, basically, that night, on the 1st of February, I got a phone call eventually, I, I think it was sometime after seven-ish, that kind of way, and um, they said, um, Christine, um, you know, keep your phone on. Your your mum isn't um, isn't doing too good. So I was then like, you know, I need to come out, I need to be with her. Is is my mum dying? Is, is, you know, and no, just keep your phone on. So with that, I rang the rest of the family again and my brother and his wife drove into me and just as I came in the door, um, I got another phone call. Um, you need to come out. Um, so I thought we were going out to go in to her. Yeah. And um, like that, we, we tore out the road, um, got the rest of the family on, you know, rang them to come out. So when we got to the... The nursing home, I ran to the door 
and there was staff standing there and they didn't know who I was. They didn't know who I was talking about. They didn't even know that I got a phone call to come out. And I was trying to explain to them, I got a call, my mum isn't, well, I need to be with her. Um, and they, they were looking at each other. They didn't, they hadn't, no idea. They had no idea what was going on. So eventually they went, somebody went in and called this person out. He came out and he just said, go around the back. Um, but the second phone call before that that I got, before we went out, I was actually upstairs. And my sister-in-law picked it up and they said, bring an umbrella. So we didn't know what that was about. But when we, eventually we went around the back of the nursing home anyway and um, pitch dark. Um, there was just all the, the curtains in the rooms, all the different rooms were all just pulled closed. So I remember that night it was actually torrential rain and wind and we were standing, you know, I was running from window to window trying to see where my mum was. And... Um, we were standing there for about, it could have been 15 minutes, and I was I was saying to my brother, where is she, where is she? So he said, look, I'll go out the front, and I'll ask him what's going on. So he went out the front, and he said, um, he came back down, and he said, there's somebody coming out now. So the same person came back out, opened the side door, and said, um, I'm sorry. And I knew then, I knew then she was dying, and um, I said, please let me in. Please let me in. And my brother said, please let Christine in, just one person, please let, let her be with her mum. I can't. And he closed the door and he um he just pulled back the curtains in one of the rooms and my mum was dying, lying in the bed, dying with nobody with her. And we, as I said, in torrential wind and rain, we had to stand outside a window and my mum lying there on her own and not one member of staff went into that room to her in the whole time that we were there and I was trying to call her name tell her I loved her and you see Patricia this is all we wanted to to be with her to hold her hand but even if a member of staff went in and we could see a member of staff going in to hold her hand and say you know Kathleen your family are here but nobody did so she died absolutely horrendously like totally alone and you couldn't and you and your brother were outside the window nine of us no. nine of us and was the window open no 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 closed window no well, um, and was she conscious no no no, no. Um, and no one you're saying they opened the window they knew your mother was dying and nobody sat and said your family are close or no no, when he when he pulled back the curtains, he just pulled back the curtains and walked back out of the room and left us there and left my mum there and we the only way we could realise that she was actually after passing because we were trying to concentrate on her chest, her breathing. And eventually when I realised that she was actually after passing I was um well, you know, she's is she gone? Is she gone? And um still nobody was there to tell. So my brother had to go back around the front again, ring the bell and say, yeah, we think my mum is after dying. And so, like, nobody even checked on her the whole time that we were outside. So if they didn't check on her while we were actually there looking in the window, was she there all day on her own? Was she there all 
the previous day, where was she all week? We don't we don't know anything about her last week. Whereas I was just taught in my own mind that week that she was being isolated in her room, but in actual fact she was after being moved. And I know that now that she was she tested negative the previous week on the twenty fourth. When, so when did she test positive? I, I think it was the, the night I rang on the thirty first. Right. He just said she was she was positive, so I presume it was the previous day because I know that they they would have been tested on the Fridays and they'd get the results on the Saturdays. But nobody told me. And so when when your brother went around and said, you know, we think our mam has passed. Did somebody then come in, check your mother and then come to you at the window or what happened? What well, the director of nursing um, came down then to the room, pulled the curtains closed to check her and then opened them back up again and put her hand up as if to say, yeah, you know, she's gone and walked out of the room. And, um, and, we, what, and what happened then? We stayed outside that window for another, could have been 15, 20 minutes, you know, just... Absolutely hysterical, basically hysterical. And um, still nobody went in. And we went around the front then again and just to find out what do we, what's the next step, what do we do now. And she came out and she said, um, you know, contact the, the coroner and, you know, all this stuff. So my brother decided to go back down the back again after that. And... Um, he said she was still lying there with the curtains open, dead. Nobody with her. Nobody saw how long was no, she there. That's, that's just so... And and has and that's living with all of you now, uh, Christine, those memories. It's, I, I mean, Absolutely. I can, like, it does just... Nothing. It, it it doesn't leave my mind. It, like, I can... That vision is in my mind every single day of... Like, I, I said it loads of times before, uh, my mum was the type of person that she just loved company. She hated being alone. And for her to die alone like that, not knowing that her family were there, no one to tell her that we were there, just to comfort her. And it's just absolutely horrific. And to make matters worse, after all that, the following night, my mum was out of passing away though, on the Monday night. And the Tuesday night, my I got an email through. And it was an email from Ballino. And it said, um, as you know, basically, as you know, we're in you know outbreak of COVID. But I will keep you updated on your mum's well-being. Oh, My mum was dead. Yeah. And, and that was added insult to injury. And then did you have a COVID funeral then after that? Was it? Was yeah, it, close, yeah. Close, look, I still uh, question, and I question every day, do I have the right person in that grave? Because it was so... Many residents died oh, oh, at the same oh, time. And try not to think of that. I know, but I, but but I know. It's, it's there because the, the staff didn't know who they were. The director of nursing didn't even know who they were. So, like... And you, you uh, sound like you're still fighting to get the information of exactly what happened, particularly oh, in that last week of your mum's life. Yes, of yeah. course. I have to. I have to. Like, there, there are times when I just feel... I'm actually having a nervous breakdown that I just have to take a step back but then I'll pull myself back up again and I'll keep going because I can't let that nobody nobody should have to go through anything like that in a lifetime I mean nobody should die like that like 
it's absolutely horrific the way they, those people were left today in all care settings as Magella said yeah. like it's not only nursing and, and for you as a family to be outside in the howling wind and rain outside uh, a window uh, I mean uh, Magella is still on the line I mean it just it beggars belief Magella it's just it's, it's just where's the humanity yeah humanity seems to go out the window I think when when Covid uh, came you know and I think you know, like Christine's experience is horrific and she's been so brave in telling us and telling us so well. But like, these are families across the whole country and many of them, like Christine, most of them, they cannot move on until they know what happened, until they're giving, given the truth. And also, they need to be able to give a voice to their loved ones that died. Their loved ones that died deserve their story to be told. And, um, you know... When you look, I know it's Ballynoe, Christine is talking about. I don't know, did you see our last prime time on Ballynoe from the research the families have done? We, because families have been denied access to the records from Ballynoe, they've been denied uh, information from the GPs that were involved. So they were left just with their own individual experience of what occurred or the inhumanity that they experienced at that time. And that's why we need a proper public-led inquiry to get to the bottom. And as somebody said, this is nothing to do with compensation. This is to do with families just wanting to know what happened to their loved Absolutely. ones. That's all Absolutely. it is. And actually, I'm told that Alison, who joined us yesterday, has been listening and listening to Christine's uh, uh, story. And she said, Alison said she doesn't want her mother to be a statistic and, and Christine is, is the same. She said, hopefully it'll get discussed in the doll. OK, listen, I'm going to leave it there. I can hear somebody's uh, dog uh, barking, um, which is a lovely sound in the background. Christine, thank you so much for sharing your story. Magella, as always, you, are, you and your group are fantastic. And so many sp- people highlight uh, the uh, Care Champion uh, group. We will speak again, but thank you both for joining us this morning. Thanks, Patricia. Thank uh, you. Good morning to you. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Two state of the art beach wheelchairs costing over €6,000 in total are still lying idle and they've been lying idle now for the past two years because there's nowhere to store them near Inchidani Beach. Local independent councillor Paul Hayes is currently looking after these two beach wheelchairs and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you, Paul. Morning, Patricia. I can't believe that we're talking again about these wheelchairs and that they're not up and running. So I suppose go back and remind us how these beach wheelchairs came to be. Will do, yeah. It's hugely frustrating, uh, Patricia. Um, yeah, a quick background. The, the uh, initiative was, um, I suppose, started by a, a council motion put down by former councillor Owen Jeffers in late 2018, asking that uh, these kind of beach wheelchairs, which kind of have, have different wheels on the large wheels that allow easier access across the soft sand and they can actually be brought into the water as well um, to allow you know people with disabilities or whatever to enjoy or local amenities. So that got unanimous support back in 2018, the council chamber. Um, later in 2019, the Warren Beach near Ross Carberry was selected as a kind of a pilot project um, for the scheme and the council bought one of the beach wheelchairs and with the help of the local uh, Ross Carberry Pitch and Put Club um, who did the administration of the scheme, you know, uh, the booking uh, of, of uh, you know, and, and administration, uh, that was a huge success. And where are they? Where are they stored? 
uh, in the, the lifeguard hut at the Warren Beach. Okay, all right. Um, short time later, then Red Barn Beach and Yall was added to the, the the service, and a great success down there as well. Um, so I suppose look, a number of us were looking at the other beaches across West Cork, including in Shidani, uh, which is my local beach. Um, again, it's, it's a frequent winner of, of the best beach in Ireland, and look, it's a very very popular beach. And I've been down there obviously in the last couple of weeks, and it's absolutely thronged with people enjoying the fantastic natural amenity on our doorstep. And we, we all felt that, look, having a, a beach wheelchair service available there would just add to uh, the attraction there. So um, we've asked in, in previous years that the council would extend the service and buy a beach wheelchair, but they quoted kind of budgetary issues and said they didn't have the funding available uh, to introduce the service. So, so the local Camogie Club got involved. They did, they did indeed upstep the uh, the local camogie club um, and they were looking to do something positive during lockdown and try to keep active. So in fairness to them, um, they came up with an idea of doing a virtual walk from the east coast to the west coast of the States. Uh, obviously, it's just within their own area yeah. uh, around around Clannacilty. I think there's 8 million steps in total. And um, they actually surpassed their initial target of you know having enough to buy one beach wheelchair and they came up with the funding for two beach wheelchairs, hugely successful and very popular campaign and huge credit due to the Camogie Club for, for their initiative. So And the wheelchair up, and the wheelchairs were purchased? They were. Uh two of them, uh in around six thousand euros the cost of two of these beach wheelchairs. But um again, as I said, uh, the Camogie Club came up with the funding, bought them and said, Over to you guys now, we're happy to donate them back to the council to initiate the service. But then um, then the problems began. They did. They did indeed, I suppose. Look, yeah, I I, uh, I started making inquiries and, look, the council were saying we can't have the lifeguards being distracted by their very important job of looking after, you know, what happens on the water, which is fair enough. So I approached the uh, the management of Inchidani Lodge and Spa Hotel um, and they were very obliging. They said, OK, yeah, we'd be happy to take the bookings either over the phone or if people come to reception, we'll have a clipboard here that will sign it out and say, yeah, you can have the beach wheelchair for free. Um, for whatever until you know uh, one o'clock or whatever it's usually in one hour slot yeah. so it works out um, they didn't have room themselves just look they're, they're a very busy hotel they didn't have room themselves uh, and they said that from the outset they wouldn't have the, the room to store the, the, the beach wheelchairs but we said look yeah no problem at all um, we'll approach the council again to see if they will uh, oblige with a similar arrangement to the Warren that the beach wheelchairs are kept in the lifeguard hut but <laughs> for reasons best known to themselves, I suppose the, the officials uh, refused that request, um, and we were. But kind you see, of you see, this is where I'm left scratching my head. The precedent is there in that the life, the lifeguard station in the Warren stores the wheelchairs, and obviously people go and pick up the wheelchair from there. What exactly. reason are they saying is different about the lifeguard station in Inchidani versus the one in the Warren? Again, as I said, we've tried to point out that we we don't want you know the lifeguards distracted and you know involved in the booking out process and, and the council officials that we've been uh, liaising with over the last couple of years are at pains to to mention that and we we agree saying look all they have to do is take the wheelchair out in the morning and put it back into the lifeguard hut in the evening and that's all we're asking them to do but as I said for the last two years um, we've just 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 been an impasse. Um, we, we've been liaising with other groups down there. There's one uh, life-saving group that, you know, they they run swimming courses down in Inchidani with the last number of years. And they actually tra- train the, the lifeguards 
uh, you know, that the council uses at our beaches. Um, so it, they had a, a small little uh, container down there with their own equipment in it. They were saying, look, you guys, you know, if we can fit a beach wheelchair or two in here, you, you're you're free to use it as well. Right. But but then the council officials got onto them and said, actually, um, sorry, you guys don't have planning permission for the cabin that you've got down there. Can you remove it, please? Oh. And uh, yeah, we had we had other businesses and people coming forward uh, willing to give us a cabin just to store the the the, the, the beach wheelchairs. And we were told, yeah, if we want to put even a temporary um, uh, cabin on site anywhere in Inchidani, we'd have to go down the, ro- the road of uh, getting planning permission for those as well. So, and they're, they're adamant, they're adamant that you can't use the lifeguard station. Absolutely, up until very, very recently, as I said, we, I've tried to escalate this the best I can up the line. Um, and look, I suppose in, in the last week or two, I, I've noticed the kind of a, a thawing of, of, of attitudes in the, in, in the council. Um, and it looks like, like I, 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 we had a uh, municipal district meeting on, on Weedy Island uh, last Friday. And when I inquired yet again, um, I was told, yeah, there may be a possibility now after all this time that we may be able to store the, the lifeguard. The, and the and, the, and the great staff at the Inchidani Lodge and Spa are committed to doing the bookings for you. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. They're, they're very keen. As yeah. I, I, I just popped what, enough what and, a waste and, and the last two years. Stay there because I want to talk about just how important these uh, beach uh, wheelchairs are. Uh, Ger O'D is uh, from Castle Lines is also on the, on the line. Uh, good morning, Ger. Your daughter has used the one at the Warren, hasn't she? Yeah, good morning, Patricia. Um, I think we spoke about it before. Yeah. Um, it's it probably the first time I was introduced to the, the concept of the beach wheelchair was at the Warren, and it was absolutely fantastic. So much so that, you know, we journeyed quite regular, you know, all the way from, I suppose, North Cork down to West Cork. Um, you know, whereas ordinarily we'd have never even gone to the beaches, you know, nearby purely because of access and, you know, with the wheelchair that Lily currently has, it's not. You know, it's not built for sand. Yeah. Um, and I was following on from, I suppose, the little bit of publicity at the time about the help push it on. Um, the supplier of the wheelchairs gave me a loan of one. Um, and it meant that I was able to, to go to another few beaches as well, both in West Cork and East Cork. But outside of that, like these things are so rugged and so accessible that um, we were able to go up to Carn and Cross you know, and from my yeah. up rugged terrain. So they're absolutely fantastic. They're life-changing for families with children with disabilities. And not only children, I mean, a gentleman was brought up Kilimanjaro in one of the chairs as well. So, I mean, there, there, there's no doubt um, in my mind that regardless of the surface of the beach or anything, that these things are an absolute must. Now, it, incidentally, we're talking about Inchidani now. I did go down there... Um, soon after we spoke the last time with Lily's wheelchair and attempted to go onto the beach. And what I did find was that the tarmac path ran out and I was then faced with a lot of soft sand that her wheelchair, her current wheelchair, sank up to the axles and it was a case of pull her backwards to get her back out. So for such a beautiful area and beautiful stretch of beach and coastline, I think the council should be doing everything that they possibly can to facilitate um, these wheelchairs in Inchidani and every other beach. Um, every government department has a responsibility, I think, for you know, for inclusion and diversity, and, and in, in particular, 
you know, making sure that people with special needs are accommodated. Yeah, and uh, it makes, both. but it makes such a difference not just to the child or the person with special needs. It makes such a difference to the entire family because suddenly it means you can do something as a family that you wouldn't have contemplated doing without having access to a beach wheelchair. Absolutely, Patricia, because Lily has a, a daughter, or has a daughter, daughter. Uh, Lily has a younger sister, um, and I suppose she never got to go to the beach, really, because I suppose we couldn't go there with Lily. So, you know, we, we went to alternative things and we found, you know, we ended up going to local parks. And, and while they're all great, you know, children like the beach. Yeah, of course. And, and it was life-changing, I suppose, for, for us as a family to be able to go, to now go to the beach, to go down to the water. These, you know, the wheelchairs can go into the water, um, you know, the they can feel the water lapping up on their feet and all of that. And, you know, it's, it's just inclusion. And I think... And does, like Lily, does Lily love going into the water? Absolutely. Does she? Absolutely. She, she just loves water in general, loves even the bath at home. So, I mean, to have that experience of being able to have the waves splash up on her and all that is absolutely fantastic. And, like, I suppose, like, I can't see any rational reason why Clark County Council would want to block families from going to the beach by restricting the use of these wheelchairs and, and yeah, silly stuff yeah. like planning permission. If anything, they should be capitalising on the fact that these chairs are there and they should be doing everything they can to facilitate it. And as well, you know, the, the fantastic members of the local camogie club, those, you know, girls who decided to do something during the pandemic, during the lockdown, but to help children who don't get access to playing camogie. I think it just, it's just great generosity of spirit on behalf of those girls. It's unbelievable. Um, and like, it's just, I suppose for any family with a child, particularly with special needs, you want to see them included where possible. Now, we all know our children's limitations and we all were very realistic and, you know, you're not going to expect a child, you know, in a wheelchair to go rock climbing. But, all of these clubs, like the Camogie Club, like the surfing down in Garrettstown, they do everything they possibly can to, include. to facilitate, regardless yeah. Yeah. of the, the disability or, in fact, the ability of somebody. Um, and it is, I, I, I suppose, I'm passionate about it, Patricia. It's appalling what Cork County Council are doing. Um, OK, well, hope, hope, hopefully now some good news, because, Paul, are they currently still in your garage? Yeah, well, one of them is, has been in my garage all of the time, essentially. Um, uh, we have the, the second one is out on loan there to a local family, like like uh, uh, just who have been, you know, they've a young daughter. And they've been making use of the um, Great. each wheelchair just over the last while. In fairness, like, and they've been coming down, and we were checking, you know, access routes onto the beach itself. Like, in, in fairness, yeah, like the, the all terrain tires, the, the the black tires, as we call it would sink in the soft sand or ice, but we did, when we we, we switched to the, the big white, kind of, you know, they're almost inflatable. Yeah, uh, I know them, tires, yeah. They actually made much better headway on, on the beach. And in fairness, like a local businessman, John Michael Foley, came down early one morning and actually cleared the, the, the pathway down uh, just to widen it an extra little bit so that the, 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 
the beach wheelchair with the wider wheels in it would get down onto the beach a bit easier. So, as I said, everything else is You're ready is to go. Order this stage. Okay, yeah. let us know. Yeah. We'll keep our fingers crossed and we'll, ke- we'll keep up the, the novenas. Um, and let us know when you get the go-ahead. We'll be thrilled to announce that it's up and running and certainly available for uh, booking. Councillor Paul Hayes, thank you for that. Uh, Geraldine, thank you. And um, um, our best wishes to Lily and indeed to the rest of the family. And thanks for joining us. Good morning to you both. CUH are holding an open day on this Saturday from 8.15am in the morning and it's for nurses to work in the expanding critical care unit. Now, previous ICU experience is not necessary uh, to book your place. Can you please email Claire Crowley 8 at hse.ie. A practice nurse is wanted in Newmarket. CVs, please, to Woodbrook Family Practice at gmail.com. An evening customer support agent is wanted for Blackpool. It's from 5 pm to 10 pm at night. Full time hours are available. Uh, CVs, please, to arm human resources at armaconnect.com. And a machine driver is wanted for work in Canturk. Call 087-165-0527. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now with schools out for summer, well for our secondary school pupils, one teacher is suggesting that the summer holidays should be in line with primary schools and have classes run throughout the month of June. Irish examiner Collymus and herself a secondary school teacher, Jennifer Horgan, joins me with her views. Good morning to Jennifer. Morning, Patricia. Now, I have to say, you will have teenagers roaring from the rooftops, no way. I imagine there'll be a lot of teachers roaring, no way. But set out your stall as to why you believe that three months off is simply too long. Okay. Um, I suppose the first thing would be in terms of the welfare of the child. So I'm very aware of the the sort of the inequality that's out there um, and the different experiences young teenagers have over the summer. So there are some teenagers who will go to the Gwailtocht and they'll go on various courses and they'll be stimulated at home and they'll read through the summer. And then there are other students who won't have any of those experiences and who will suffer um, a setback in terms of their learning and, and their reading. And so from September, then they're playing catch up. So that's one issue. Um, the other issue, I suppose, is that I feel like our society has changed a lot from when I was a teenager. When I was when I was a teenager, my mum was at home um, and she was there to kind of facilitate whatever through the summer months. I think that's very rare nowadays. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. 
feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And I think for the most part, both parents are working. Um, on top of that, then you have the added um, impact of, of, of technology, mobile phones, screens. Um, so I suppose I worry that there, there are young teenagers who are left on their own unavoidably because parents are working um, and they're spending a lot of their summer online. Um, the third thing I suppose I would say is that I feel like our school year is overly frantic. It's packed. We have more contact hours than most other countries, even though we're in school um, for fewer days. So I'd like to see us calm down a little bit, have gaps in the school day, have study periods where students could do homework and where teachers could plan. I'd like to see more physical activity. Um, I'd like to ensure that every young person is exercising um, every day. Um, so I think like I don't mean to add more to the pile. Um, we cover a lot of ground. We don't need to cover anymore. But I'd like to see us slowing down a little bit. Yeah, you, I think you, you're making some really, really good points there. And it's not that you're asking the teachers are indeed the pupils to spend longer in a classroom environment. You're talking about spread it out over the year. Yeah, spread it out, slow it down, uh, slow down the learning have, you know, maybe a period every day where students get to revise, reflect, do homework, where teachers get a breath. Um, And I do think the physical activity thing is important. And there are other countries where they really do commit to that and and ensure that young people are moving. Um, We have an issue with facilities in Ireland. Our schools aren't good enough. They're not well equipped. Uh, My own school lacks any real outdoor space. That would need to change, of course. Um, But I think with proper facilities, we could really ensure that the children are getting the exercise they need. you know, we, teachers have a tough time and I know they're they're not going to like what I'm saying, um, but I think we need to improve the system, um, respect teachers more um, yeah. and, and lengthen, lengthen the year. And of course, the reason that all of the other classes are in secondary school are at home at the moment is because the state exams have started. You'll have yes. the Department of Education yeah. saying, oh, should we have to get rid of all of the students in order to facilitate the exams? But if you go up north or if you go across the water to the UK, to England, where I believe you taught, their exams yes. are going on and the pupils, the other pupils are still in school. I'm right in saying that, aren't I? Absolutely. Yeah. And it was actually I really enjoyed that time in school when I was in England because it normalised the exams for everyone. And I felt like the other year groups kind of saw the exam then as a kind of a natural, normal thing, you know, that that happened and people survived. And um, they were very respectful, obviously. They were very quiet in the corridors um, and that was good for them, too. And it meant as well that teachers were in school, but they weren't teaching those exam years, which meant you had, you know, 
on average about two hours a day where you had time to plan for the next year um, or to meet up in your departments. You know, there was a, there, it was just a really enjoyable, relaxed few weeks before breaking up for the, the summer holidays. Yeah, and I think you're very right about normalising the state exams because, you know, yeah. I mean, I was I was watching some of the kids going into young adults going into leaving search and the, the they're the last of the cohort who didn't sit at junior search because of COVID times. And you could yes. sense the anxiety that they, they really didn't know what it was going to be like. What's the room going to be like? What's this, you know, in an empty school? And I just thought, my goodness, yeah. if, if, if they had been in class in fifth year while another group was doing their leaving search, it does normalise it. I think so. Absolutely. Now, again, it comes down to facilities. I think my school would struggle because we don't have the space. Yeah. And as much as the, you know, as much as we try to be quiet, I don't think it would be possible. But if you have proper um, school facilities with, with uh, you know, plenty of room, it's perfectly possible. I can see lots of people are, are agreeing with you. Somebody said that woman is talking so much sense. That woman is Jennifer Horgan, who is a columnist with the Irish Examiner, but she's also a, a secondary school teacher. As someone else asked, how do we compare with other countries? Do we have some of the longest summer holidays compared to other countries? We do. Now, Italy would be comparable. I think they're about 12 or 13 weeks. Spain is pretty long, but they don't have midterms. So they kind of just have the summer holidays. Countries like Germany, the UK, they'd be a lot shorter. They're like six weeks, um, you know, so half the, the length of time. Um, others are about eight weeks. Um, but yeah, we, we are longer than, than the vast yeah, majority. Yeah. And yet, but you're saying the face-to-face contact with the pupils is high, is as high, if not higher than other European countries. As high, if not higher. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, that, that is worth pointing out. OK, Marie in Canturk worries about her children that they're going to spend all of the summer locked in their room on devices. She agrees with you. Three months is too long. Her sum, summer holidays were spent outdoors. Today is very different. Yeah. And that's the very same point you made. Jack is in Bantry, agrees with Jennifer, feels we need to have open discussion on the subject and maybe maybe even get the Citizens Assembly to discuss it. Why not? And Lucy McCroom, uh, no one ever asks the parents. Her first child to hit secondary school, he's still only 13. Both herself and her husband work. Her son will be home alone until the younger children get in. And that's the point. Also, another one of the points uh, that, that you made. And, and also, Jennifer, we have, and there's an increase in the numbers, certainly this year, we have students whose English is not their first language. Yes. They miss, they that's miss a big out. Yeah. Won't they by not being immersed with their peers? Yeah, and there's research on that that I mentioned in my column um, because obviously they're at home with their home language um, and, you know, I suppose they're kind of newly arrived. They might not have the network that they need to keep up English over the summer. So that's a definite concern. Um, So you would see them falling, you know, falling behind come next September. Okay, what reaction have you been getting since, uh, since the article was published earlier in the week? To be honest, I've cut myself off social media because <laughs> I write a column. So it's all opinion. So I, I suppose I invite, to, yeah. to, like that's the whole purpose. I'm happy for people to disagree with me, but it can get a little bit personal on social media. So I've decided against uh, keeping Yeah, you're right. Have any, an of, any, any, of, any of your, your the teachers that you teach with, have any of them contacted you? 
they haven't, but we've chatted about it and we've oh, laughed yeah. about it in the staff room. They know what I'm up to, you know, but they just <laughs> laugh. You know, we, we don't take it seriously. Um, but I think that they're always open to the conversation. I think that's the most important yeah. thing. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's all about just having the conversation around it. That's why I think that Citizens Assembly one will be interesting to see. Get a group of, you know, citizens that represent all the age groups uh, of this country and see what they have to uh, say about it. Uh, listen, Jennifer, enjoyed uh, chatting with you. Enjoy your long Thank summer you. holiday. Uh, and thanks, th- and thanks a million for joining us on the programme. Take care. Good bye. morning bye. to you. Bye bye. Jennifer Horgan there, who, as I say, journalist with the Irish Examiner, bought a secondary school uh, teacher. I can see a lot of our parents uh, agree. As I say, I don't know if you we were to open the phone lines and if we had a lot of the uh, the teenagers listening to us, if they would agree that three months off in the summer is uh, too long. Somebody says, how can they keep the summer holidays the same as the primary school when the exams are going on in June? We wouldn't want kids shouting around the pupils that are doing exams. But Jennifer said in when she worked in in the UK, all of the other pupils were very respectful of the fact that what did they have in England? GCSEs and A levels. Very respectful of the fact that this is the two, three weeks of exams and they're very quiet around the corridors. And that's what our pupils would start to realise because they would realise that's going to be me next year or the year after inside in that exam hall. And I think Jennifer is right. I think it will more normalise the exams uh, as well. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to uh, 086 uh, to 103 103. And when I'm on about schools, because this came in earlier and I really don't want to forget about it, um, Esther has been on to say that there is a coffee morning and a raffle going on in Burnford National School and it's on next Sunday between 11 and 1pm and it's in aid of Burnford Village Development uh, Group. So if you're out and about in the Burnford area, Sunday morning, pop into the National School between 11 and 1 for a cup of coffee. I'm sure there'll be tea uh, as well and good luck to all involved. We're off to Bantry Guard, the station for this week's Guard the Fire. I'm joined by Guard the Bridget at Hartnett. Good morning to you, Bridget. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, you're going to offer us some summer crime advice uh, because of this wonderful weather that we're having at the moment. But before that, there's just one incident that you want uh, to talk about. It was uh, a public order offence. Yeah, well, I suppose in the last seven days, I just want to bring people's attention to we had 12 public order incidents in the West Cork area and 12 assaults. And I suppose that comes in hand with the lovely weather, maybe going out a bit earlier in the evening and people inclined to drink a little bit more. And just to bear it in mind, you know, we have to be careful and how much we drink. And also, you know, to stay away from situations like that, which can bubble up and get out of hand quite easily. And it's all about protecting one another and protecting ourselves. Okay, all right. And with this um, fine weather, there are lots of people away on holidays. I saw Dublin Airport, one of its busy weekends, I think since before the pandemic. It's the same in Cork Airport and many people are staycationing. You want to offer, and it comes up every year, but people don't seem to heed this advice. This is about social media, your use of social media when you are away. Yeah, and I, I know you've covered it lots of times in the show and JP as well. It's just to be so careful when we're going on holidays. I know we're all very excited to get away, whether it's staying at home or going abroad, but we don't need to post about it. We don't need to update our status when we arrive at Cork Airport or Dublin Airport. And we definitely don't need to be putting up a post beforehand that I'm going on holidays in four days' time. You know, it's like putting out a red flag and saying, come here, you know, <laughs> my house is going to be empty for the next week or two. 
So it's really important. Just and I know that we're we're all you know we're well aware that we shouldn't do it, but I think people just forget yeah. and update the status um, on arriving at the airport, and then you know post pictures of the lovely villa or the lovely swimming pool. Um, it's just really important to remember that. Please don't. And if you all your privacies, keep them private. And there's no need. You can send the pictures to family, but there's no need to let the rest of the world know. Yeah. And then when you come back from your holidays, if you want to put up a post to share, Absolutely. With them, you can do it and say, spent a wonderful week last week, wherever it was, and then share the photographs. I think that's great advice. And that would be the way to do it. You know, if you do want to share it with people and let them know about the great area you were too. Um, but it's also keeping your home secure and safe because it's an awful feeling coming home to having someone, you know, after breaking into your home. And it really takes from your lovely holiday away and your nice break. And then obviously when you are away, to have lights come on, have somebody checking on the house. I always say it, Patricia, that we're so lucky in West Cork. We have the best neighbours and the best people around. And I I mean this in the best possible way. Please use that. So if you're going away, your good neighbour that helps you out during the year, just ask them to keep an eye on the property. Um, you know, and good things like a light coming on, absolutely brilliant. Um, things like, you know, post, you can let the post office know or get your neighbour even to take it away. Um, things, if the bins are being collected, maybe your neighbour put them back in for you. Keep the gates locked. Anything to just make it appear that the house is lived in and people are around. That makes a huge difference. And things like make make sure there's no property left around, like garden equipment. That's the biggest increase we are seeing time on time of thefts. Um, things like bicycles, very easy to sell on, unfortunately. And, you know, it's an opportunistic uh, crime that people, they just see it and they're gone with it. So use those good neighbours and even let the guards know. You can give your local guard station a ring and let them know you're going to be away for a time and we can check it when on patrol at night. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's good sound advice. And a lock on the shed. I don't know what it is about garden sheds. You know, we can have very valuable property in our garden sheds and we don't look at the security like we would look at the security on our house. You're 100% right, Patricia. And people work so hard for all that equipment they have, you know, and it's a huge amount of money. Mm. No exaggeration, there'd be a few grams of lovely equipment in there. And often we don't even have a list of what's in our garden shed. And what it could, we just have a, 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 an ordinary lock on the door where a good steel-based lock makes a huge difference. And I did say this already, that property is very easy to sell on because a lot of them aren't marked or recorded. And even when we do, we have a good few seizures down through the years all across the country of uh, garden equipment and bikes we get back it's very difficult to return that to the owner then because you know they haven't got it marked yeah yeah okay and then obviously there's lots of people going to the beach and going for walks in lovely wooded areas and in parks again the annual advice about the items that you're going to bring with you and not having them on display in your vehicle yeah um, you probably sick of me sometimes saying no, it. No, I know, I know. It's, it, it's, it's a thing that every single year, and we will reiterate it a couple of times uh, throughout no, the brilliant. summer. Yeah. And, and we'll still have people to say, oh, you know, oh God, I never thought about it. And, yeah. you know, the famous one that I, I, and I actually went over to a gentleman once at the beach um, who was leaving a wallet and 
it looked like some kind of a tablet on the back seat of his car and yes. he took off his jacket and he threw the jacket over and I went to him and I said honest to God I've just witnessed what you've done looking into your car and seeing a jacket in the back seat you know straight away it's hiding something I said, put absolutely it, put it in the boot so he did put, yeah and really I think we should think about this um, and you've said this the last time I was on as well that when we're going for a walk there is no need to be bringing our tablets and our handbag and bringing all the things you know rain gear fair enough but there's no need to bring a big wallet or handbag um, we need to think like that and also I, I even the other day I was on patrol and I was in Glengarve Woods and it's just beautiful there but three cars were left open I know and like I know we live in the best place in the world but we have to think security conscious because it's a horrible feeling when something is taken from you like that um, and you know it, 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 it's difficult for people then even to come forward sometimes but always do come and report it to us anytime but please keep your doors windows locked and of the car and do never have anything on on display you yeah. know just anything and please like you said they're throwing the coat on over it that really the, it nearly just highlights it to yeah, be quite you honest. might you might as well leave it out on display Absolutely. and and the, and the not locking you see people do that in the driveway of their houses as well and a lot of those thefts are just opportunistic aren't they it's just somebody completely wandering there, it's by a chance. yeah yeah it's an absolute chance and they see it there um, often in places, even where a lot of people, swimming has become so popular, that a lot of people even leave their keys just in the door of the car or, you know, under the car and things like that. And I'm always saying, please don't. You can't, you, we, we really don't know who's driving by and who might take a chance. All right, and somebody says, Patricia, while, while you and uh, Garda Bridget Hartnett are talking about trips to the beach, will you ask people to please be aware of where they are parking, uh, especially on very busy that, days? Yeah. Well, I, that is a really good point because especially down um, on all of West Cork areas, we're talking about small laneways and, you know, entrances to houses. Um, we even had a lady here in Branchy Ring uh, from Kilcrahan a couple of weeks ago and she was blocked into her house just outside the village. Now, she was a lovely lady. She wasn't, you know, uh, giving out about it. She was just saying, could we find the owner of the car? She actually had to go in and collect her son. And this happens quite a lot. That people, I know we're going to a lovely day out, going to the beach, but think about others. You know, it's not nice of a person. And we never know what could be happening in that house, whether an ambulance needs to get in or fire service. But even if that person just needs to go about their business, we should never block entrances. And when we're going to beaches, even just to think, God, if an ambulance needs to get down here, you know, to rescue someone or to bring someone away, can they? Have to, have, are they able to turn? You know, just don't abandon the car and say, I'll be fine. Yeah, I've seen it quite a lot in on Inchidani Beach um, and we've heard from some of the residents down there who's, you know, they can't get in or out of their house because somebody just decides to, you know, abandon the car. It's just, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's very unfair, yeah. you know. And, and it's we, selfish. We, it's, it it's is very absolutely so. selfish. Yeah. All right. Listen, enjoy this fine weather for as long as it lasts, Bridget. And a pleasure as always. Thank you for that. Lovely. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. Uh, bye bye. That is Garda Bridget Hartnett, who is uh, based out of Bantry, a Garda station. We mentioned when I was speaking with Garda Bridget Hartnett in the last hour about people being aware. Please be aware when you park in your car. If you're heading to the beach today or across the weekend or next week, anytime during the summer, just please be aware of other motorists having to use the road you're parking on. And more so than anything, don't block somebody's entrance uh, into their uh, house. A listener says, Patricia, read what this listener says are ignorant people parking in people's driveways are indeed on public country roads. Wouldn't it be justice if their vehicle was towed away? Imagine, says this texter, if I went into a town 
town or a city and just decided to abandon my car on somebody's driveway and then went into town, into the city centre for the day. What would happen? It wouldn't happen in a town or city because my car would be towed away. Yet, the same people seem to think it's perfectly okay to do it just because it's by the beach or out in the countryside. Never mind parking on half a road. How do they? How do those drivers actually think other traffic will be able to pass safely. Last weekend in the Clonakilty uh, area, cars were parked around bends while the owner, owners were down sunning themselves on the beach. And I don't know what, if, if it's in Shidani uh, that you're talking about, but I don't know uh, how we don't have a major, major medical incident some weekends down in, in Shidani if an ambulance and needed to get in because sometimes the way some people just abandon their cars really is uh, crazy. People just need to uh, cop on. And maybe you're right, maybe towing cars away is the way to go. 0818 103 103. Now, I didn't see this programme, but there was a programme last night. Was it on the BBC? It was, a, it was a UK uh, programme. I don't know if anybody else uh, saw it. And it's um, from what Jim is saying in his text, it's to do with elderly people in the UK and how they're battling the cost of living crisis. Because, of course, we have a cost of living crisis that's not just happening here in this country. It seems to be happening all over the world. Anyway, Jim says... I watched a TV programme last night. It was about pensioners living on the poverty line in the UK. One 78-year-old man who has no family members of his own left living. Uh, Before he goes to bed every night, he lays out paperwork on his couch. The paperwork contains instructions on what to do in case this man passes away during the night. All of the paperwork would be seen by whoever found his body. Oh, isn't that incredibly sad? There was another elderly lady who sits in the dark. She's gone to bed by 7pm with a hot water bottle. She places the hot water bottle on her tummy and cuddles it in order to get to sleep. Another elderly man spoke about how he measures out the water he needs to boil. He will boil exactly two cups for two cups of tea from each tea bag. He's actually switched off his fridge because he's got nothing to keep with it, keep in it. The only thing he keeps is milk and he stands that in a sink of cold water to keep it fresh. So sad to watch. Each and every one of the older people that were highlighted on that programme are living on the state pension, but they simply can't survive on it. What with the cost of energy and food inflation and everything going up Patricia shame shame I wonder how many of our elderly people are living like that here in Ireland never complaining they're just simply surviving you can be guaranteed Jim if there was to be a similar programme done in Ireland uh, that the researchers would possibly find equally as many elderly people who would be sharing stories and I do know the one big difference though the state pension in the UK is much lower than the state pension here in Ireland and I don't know uh, I know in this country Many of our pensioners uh, struggle, but we do have the community welfare officers there. We also have fantastic food banks. We have fantastic charities. And I'm assuming that there are similar uh, over in the UK. But then there are a number of people who find it very hard to say, I need help. Can somebody help me? But that does seem like a heartbreaking uh, programme to have watched. Thanks for sharing that with us, Jim. And then we started the programme by talking about what looks like it could be the start of a 
grocery price war in this country with Tesco announcing 700 of their products are to be reduced in price and we're now waiting for the other supermarkets to follow suit and that obviously will be good news for everyone because grocery inflation is just has just is rising and rising and, and rising all the time and we need we need it to come to stop and maybe this is the start uh, of it but that has led to some people giving in suggestions including Mary who, um, now I don't know if, if Mary is celiac or has a celiac member in at the household, but she is forced to purchase gluten-free products. She said, why I welcome the reduction of prices at the supermarkets. Why is it that gluten-free products always remain so high? Mary said, I was just out, happened to be doing some shopping this morning. A half a pound of gluten-free sausages, one euro fifteen. Bagels, €2.69. A small gluten-free loaf, and they are small, one ninety nine, And a small gluten-free cake, uh, 2 39 There never seems to be anything off the gluten-free uh, products. And I can say snap with you on that one, Mary, because I follow a gluten-free diet uh, as well. I-, I try to buy as little of those gluten-free products as I possibly can. I try and live a gluten-free diet just by cooking everything from scratch but but I do buy the bread and uh, and things like that and they're all crazily expensive it always has been like that I mean I feel for anyone who is is celiac and is more than one celiac member in the household what they are paying on their shopping particularly if you've got children who are celiac is crazy but they never come down in price and the argument always is that it's more expensive to produce those uh, products I, I suppose with the bread, they'll say they're producing a smaller batch than they would be for the, the batch of bread that has gluten in it. But yeah, I, I sympathise with you, Mary. They are really expensive. And then there's no name on this. Somebody says, Trish, I fancied a scone this morning while heading to work. Now, normally when I, fan, when I fancy a scone, I'll bring scones for the other lads that I work with. with. That would be eight scones in total. Probably do it about once once a month. So about a month ago, I did the same thing. Went in, purchased the eight scones and I got it for less than 10 euro. So off I went. Happy out today. Decided I'd buy the eight scones uh, to discover that the scones have gone up to two euro and ten cent each. That would have worked out at almost 17 euro. Sorry, lads, I do like you, but dot, 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 not paying 17 euro for eight scones. Have others noticed that the price of scones have gone up? And I'm assuming that's to do with the price of flour and everything uh, going up. Is that something that we're going to see coming down in price? I don't know, but the lads had to do without their scones this morning from this particular listener. 0818 103 103. And then a number of calls uh, reacting to the piece that we, heartbreaking uh, piece that we started with this morning. It started with Magella Beatty from Care, uh, Care Champions talking about how her organisation helping to support families who lost loved one loved ones during the pandemic and desperately trying to get the information on how their loved one die, died. And people stuck, I think, really stuck in their bereavement process because they've got so many questions about what happened to a much-loved mother, father, husband, son, daughter, uh, whatever. Um, and this, it kicked off yesterday with Alison talking about her mother, Alice. And Alison and her family had to go to the ombudsman in order to get the information that she needed to find out what happened uh, with her mother. So that's the reason that we had Magella Beatty on the programme. And then that led to Christine contacting us because... 
her mum died in uh, the care choice in Ballynoe, uh, which had, was there 24 deaths in, in the care choice, in, in that particular care choice uh, nursing home. And just horrific. It was just, I think it was probably one of the saddest stories I heard to have a family of nine much loved children outside a window on a really wet, blustery February, 1st of February, February evening. You could, you could almost feel the cold and the wind and the rain as Christine was outlining how they were outside a closed window looking in at their mother and their mother passing away and then one of them realising that their mother's the breathing had stopped and their mother had passed away and she was all on her own and couldn't hear them outside the window just that they wouldn't even leave one of them in just to sit with her to say you're not on your own uh, everybody's here it's just as, as I said when I was chatting with Christine where where is the humanity anyway that has led to some more calls coming in Kate was on to say her husband also died alone in a care facility. Now, she said her son and herself had gone in to visit the day before. They'd been given an an allocated uh, time. And she said while she was with her husband, while his eyes were closed, he was still conscious and he was talking to her. And he said to her, Kate, I think this is the last time I'll ever speak to you. And Kate realised he was more or less saying to Kate, I'm dying. This, this, these are my last few hours. So with the fright, Kate ran out to approach a nurse. But she said as she was doing it, she touched the trolley that the nurse was pushing. The nurse then kind of started to go at her and accusing her of contaminating the, the trolley. Kate said she got really, really upset. She, she didn't know what she was doing. So they were then asked to leave um, and told to go home. So they did. She said early the next morning they got a call to say that her husband had passed uh, away. And she said what really got to Kate was he had passed away and there was nobody by his side. She said, I am still so upset by this. I found trying to get information on my husband while he was in the facility when we were at home. I found it impossible at the time. And uh, John Paul took the call from Kate and said she was actually too upset on air to actually join us on air. Uh, My deepest sympathies to you, Kate. My heart goes out to you. Um, I would suggest maybe contacting somebody like Care Champions and Magella Beatty because... Anyone we have spoken to have spoken about the support that care champions are giving to uh, families and they're dealing with so many families all over the country. But my heart goes out to you. That is just such a tough, tough uh, thing. Uh, Bill says with all the money that the government have, we're hearing they're awash with money with all of this corporation tax uh, pouring into the exchequer. Bill says there should be a proper inquiry. He said this is not about compensation, but this is to take a look at how low have, have we as a country stooped that we are treating our elderly people. It sounds like they've been treated like convicts and lepers in some of our care facilities. Thousands did not get the answers and the Irish people were just such a polite re- race. We're not a militant one. We do exactly as we're told Summed up by Kate, obviously asked to leave the care facility where her husband was because she happened to contaminate a trolley. And what did she do? Herself and her son, they left. We do as uh, we're told. And and Bill is saying because we do that, this is what happens. He also makes the point that a lot of those big care homes and hospitals made a lot of money during COVID times and many of them still are. And yet they're not showing the care and attention. 
that they should be given to our elderly and our vulnerable uh, people. And then, uh, thanks for that, Bill. And then Burr was on to say, Patricia, it's not just nursing homes that denied people access to their loved ones during COVID times. My husband, or sorry, my dad, sorry, Burr, my dad spent the last five weeks of his life alone in a hospital in uh, Cork. This was at the height of COVID. It was November of 2020. The day he died, I had to beg to be left in to see him as I just had this awful gut feeling that something was going to happen to him. It took the hospital two hours to ring me back to say, "Okay, yes, you can come in and see him. And they finally agreed to let me in. It then took me a further 50 minutes to get to the hospital. When I arrived at the hospital, I was met by a nurse who told me, I can't let you in to see your dad. He's gone into cardiac arrest. And then unfortunately, I was too late. Burr's dad passed away. Oh, that's heartbreaking, Burr. Absolutely heartbreaking. Sympathies to you on the passing of your dad even in, back in 2020. And I can, by that text, I can still see how painful uh, it all is. And then Mary it says, Patricia, I work as a health care assistant, previously known as a home health worker. I worked right throughout uh, COVID. We dealt with a number of patients when it came to palliative care when they were dying at home. We stayed with people who were dying. Some of them were dying and they were COVID positive, but we worked as normal. We never stopped families from coming in and spending time with their loved ones. While we were wearing masks and gowned up, we didn't ask the family members to wear masks or to be gowned up, particularly when they were saying goodbye to their loved ones. We stood back and let the families have their moments. There is and will always be dignity in uh, death. Yeah, but unfortunately for some of the families we are hearing from, they feel that their loved ones certainly were not afforded that dignity while uh, dying. 0818 103 103. John Paul is taking your calls. We are looking for your pet questions, please. For Jane Pickett, you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Bandon Library are hosting an exhibition uh, for Food Waste Awareness Week. It's on today and Skibbereen Library are hosting a talk on composting for all with Donal O'Leary. A fashion show will be held in the West Cork Hotel in Skibbereen tomorrow Friday at 8 o'clock. Proceeds going to the Skibbereen Community Playgroup and After School Club. Tickets from the Play School are the are Salon 31 in Skibbereen. A nurse recruitment open day for general intensive care unit will be held on Saturday in the main auditorium in CUH. Previous ICU experience is not necessary, but you do need to book a place. Contact claire.crowley8 at hse.ie. A Mallow Field Club, they're having an outing to Ardford Cathedral and Bannerstrand next Sunday. Now, the cost for the bus is €25. Euro. Entry to the cathedral is €4. Euro, and they will depart Mallow Garda Station at 10am on Sunday morning. 
tea and a coffee break at Ballyseedy Garden Centre and then an evening meal at Ballygarry House Hotel. If you'd like to travel by bus, please forward your name to mallowlectures at gmail.com. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. While we started the programme with the good news that Tesco are reducing 700 uh, items um, on average by about 10%, which is a bit of good news and the hope is that all of the other supermarkets will uh, follow suit. Maraid uh, has noticed that uh, prices are on the increase in coffee shops. They seem to be increasing their prices all the time. Should every few months the price of a cup of coffee seems to go up. She says a small latte now on average is about €3.85. They're in the hospitality sector so they've got the lower VAT rate. How do they justify these increases? They seem to be going up every few uh, months and she's noticed that the price of a little cake as well if you want a cake with your latte or your cup of tea all going up in price and she she's noticed it's kind of the larger coffee shop chains rather than the smaller individual uh, independently run uh, coffee shops now I know if I get onto any of the chains they'll say it's to do with the cost of doing business. Their electricity costs are gone through the roof. Their insurance costs are gone through the roof. The price of the milk they're buying in, the coffee, the tea, wage costs. You know, they'll just say that's, you know, and they'll keep putting up the prices to cover the cost of doing business until it gets to the stage where it's where it's too expensive and nobody's going in. And then the business closes down. Uh, so has anybody else noticed that price of coffees when you're going for a cup of coffee has uh, gone up? Hi, Patricia. Listening to parents of older children, these of teenagers who are spending their summer holidays on their laptops. We had some parents who worried about their teenagers and the long summers. Wouldn't it be lovely if three or four of those students got together and helped elderly neighbours, maybe tidy up their garden, do a little bit of light uh, housework and give them something to do so that they wouldn't be idle for the summer, if anybody wants to take up on that suggestion. And Dennis says, any society should be judged primarily on how they look after the very young and the very old uh, in my opinion and the youngest of all is the child is the safety in the mother's womb and we know what happens there great listening that's from uh, Dennis uh, obviously critical of the way we're looking after older people with some of the stories that we have heard today and hi Patricia would you give a big shout out and say thank you to the gala shop in Kilmallock. My granddaughter is doing her junior certificate and she went in there to get a drink and a bar and her card wouldn't work. They gave her the items and then gave her a receipt and says, your mum can come in afterwards when she collects you and pay for it. I thought that was really ca- kind. Would you give a big shout out? So well done to the gala shop in Kilmallock who realised, I suppose, anybody coming in at the moment dressed in a uniform, a secondary school uniform, you know that they're either doing their junior cert or they're leaving cert. I'm lo- ever, as I'm driving to work every morning, I'm trying to keep a lookout and trying to smile at anyone I'm passing uh, to wish them well. And this came in earlier. Somebody says, we, need, we want plenty of rain. Do we want plenty of rain? Really? Now, the sunshine is due to end tomorrow because showers and thunderstorms are expected to sweep over the country. Now, that is going to give some respite to whoever that listener is who wants the rain, but also, obviously, Irish Water, Ishka Aram, because they're saying their reservoirs and their water treatment uh, plants 
20 of them are currently in official drought status. So they're obviously doing rain dances at the moment. Met Air and say their 25 principal weather stations, 24 are currently observing what they describe as absolute droughts. Now, a drought is defined of a period of 15 or more consecutive days where the daily rainfall is less than 0.2 uh, millimetres. Ishka Erin, a warning that water conservation uh, was now critical and would be over the coming weeks, given the potential for a further dry spell later on this this month um, and also into July. Early indications are we're in for another dry period later in uh, the month and that will have a significant effect on the national water reserves. There are also concerns that the rainfall that has been forecast over the coming days may not prove sufficient to fully restore all the drought-hit reservoirs and the water treatment plants and that will leave further water schemes at risk they're looking at things that they may have to introduce like overnight restrictions or they may even have to curb uh, and conserve supplies. Ishka Aaron's Asset Operations Manager Tom Cuddy, he's quoted in the papers today as saying water conservation is vital in the weeks ahead. They're beginning to see the impact of this long spell of dry weather on some supplies around the country uh, with no significant rainfall forecast. There is some, but it isn't significant in the short term. He's making the point that we can all play our part in ensuring that there's enough water for everyone as we go through the summer, particularly if we get a nice hot summer. Even small changes, he said, can make a significant dis, uh, um, difference. And I suppose he's talking about things like uh, easy on the hose, if you're out hosing the 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 garden in the evening time and if you've got a leaky tap try to fix that leaky tap uh, Met Aaron's Paul Downs said that despite the showers over the weekend the weather is to remain warm and it's also to remain humid Saturday night for example is going to be what Met Aaron are calling oppressively humid overnight temperatures are not expecting it to drop below 16 degrees that's overnight that's going to be a really muggy sticky night more traditional Irish summer weather then will become dominant from this evening and that's when we're going to see the first of this patchy rain uh, sweep across us here in the south then showers some will be thundery because of the high humidity and the warm weather they will develop over Munster tomorrow night at Friday night into Saturday morning and then spread uh, northwards. And But the human condition, the humid conditions, they're going to extend right into next week. But in between, there will be some showers, but we can expect more spells of good sunshine. They'll just be interrupted with some showers. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. More off to the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where Jane Pickett uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome. Let me get straight into questions. This is a kind of one that's appropriate for the fine weather we've been having. Hi, could you please ask Jane, what is the best solution for dogs for sunburn, especially their nose? I've noticed my dog's nose is dry and pink around it. I'm thinking it might be a bit sunburned. Okay, so yeah, it is very timely. We're experiencing a great spell of fine weather and it seems set to stay with us for a few more days, but it can be troublesome for our pets. I think really the best 
way to manage sunburn is, is to prevent it, ideally. Um, so I suppose there are a number of sunscreens, pet safe ones available. Now, it is really important to note that some sunscreens that humans are, that are made for us essentially can be toxic if they're licked. So they're not the best thing to do. So it's, it's usually best to speak to your vet or your local pet shop about a sun safe sunscreen or a pet safe sunscreen. Um, that if they do happen to lick it and ingest it, it's not toxic to them. So I suppose prevention is better than cure. So if it's happened once, think about, you know, uh, arming yourself with some sunscreen for the next sunny day. But dealing with the issue that you have now really usually is kind of symptomatic care, really just making sure that the area is, I suppose, kept moist. So sometimes uh, you can get little kind of wound care sprays that are good for kind of sunburn. So have a chat to your vet. They may be able to kind of prescribe you one um, or have one that they can sell you. But otherwise, maybe a little tiny film of pseudocreme. But I think it really does depend on where the lesion is on your pet's nose. If it's at a point at which they could lick the pseudocreme off, I wouldn't advise putting it on. But if it's really up on the bridge of the nose where they wouldn't be able to lick it off, then a very, very light covering of pseudocreme just to soothe the area can sometimes be helpful. But what I will say is that although sunburn is a really common cause of kind of pink and dry flaky skin, on kind of the extremities so the ears and the nose this time of year there are actually a lot of other things that can cause similar signs so sometimes there can actually just be primary skin conditions that wouldn't have anything to do with the sun that can manifest similarly sometimes there can even be stranger things like um, autoimmune conditions that can kind of lead to, to crusting and pinkness around around the margins of where the nose is as well so I suppose what I would say is if it's been associated with a very sunny day and you've noticed kind of some sunburn signs it may well be that but if it's not settling or if it's beginning to get any work I would really advise visiting your vet just to make sure it's not something else that your pet might need help with. And the one thing about sunburn in in cats and and dogs I mean it's similar to humans it can lead to um, skin cancer I had a cat that um, the top of one of his ears had to be taken off uh, because mm-hmm. of skin cancer and then because uh, I was unaware it was a white cat unaware of the ears getting sunburned now we religiously then put sun cream on the other mm-hmm. one but it, the, the tip had to be taken off Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. It is a, a really hard thing, certainly very similar to us. It can lead to cancerous change. So the most common thing is a cancer called squamous cell carcinoma. And that's really by far and away most common on the tips of cat's ears, very much like that. And usually in the light or white coloured cats where they don't have enough melanin pigment in their skin to have a little bit of protection. So we'd always advise, you know, a pet safe sunscreen, particularly mm. on the tips of the ears or the, the main area. But don't forget the dogs, the light coloured dogs can have issues too. So it is best to prevent it and offer lots of shade as well, just so they're not kind of outside basking for extended periods. Um, Which cats love those... and cats love to do that. And, and they absolutely do. And I think that's the thing. It's very much like ourselves, although sun cream is really, really helpful. The, the advice is still to make sure that we're shaded during the kind of peak hours of the day yeah. from 12 to 3. Okay. So, same goes for the pets. Michael says, hi, uh, we gave our golden retriever a bit of a wash yesterday, dog shampoo and hosed him down in the garden. We noticed afterwards he's got very dry skin under his coat of hair. What could be causing that? And is there anything you could suggest using? Okay, so it could be, I suppose, after washing, uh, we're kind of stripping the oils away from the skin. Sometimes they can seem a little bit kind of dry and crusty. Um, It may be that you might need a more moisturising shampoo next time. But if there is quite a lot of scale and scarf there, that would point to maybe an underlying skin issue. So sometimes they can have problems with their skin barrier where it doesn't kind of exfoliate normally. And it can actually signal some of the, you know, be a representative sign of some 
other issues deeper within the skin that might be causing itching or discomfort. So it is worth, if it's not settling for your pet and let's say a moisturising shampoo doesn't help, it is worth bringing it up with your vet because it can be kind of a warning sign for other skin barrier issues, allergies, for example, itchiness. Um, so it is definitely worth digging into. Some of the shampoos that I suppose are good, I suppose a word on shampoos, I would never really recommend using cumin shampoo for dogs. Um, the pH of their skin is actually quite different to us. So we're stripping a little bit too much of the oils out of the skin if we use a human shampoo, but also we're changing the acidity of the skin um, balance. So that kind of messes up the bacterial flora and the pH that they like to live in. So using a pet shampoo is really, really important not to strip too much of that away and to keep the pH normal. But also within pet shampoos, there's lots of different ones. So some of them are soothing, some of them are, you know, for really dirty beasties. But then there are some that are moisturizing and generally they'd have oatmeal based ingredients oat or oat milk based ingredients and they tend to be the ones that i would i would say would be a good shout in this kind of situation if you're struggling to pick one and there are an absolute plethora of pet shampoos on the market have a chat to your local vet and vet nurse because they may well have some in stock themselves but if not they'll be able to guide you to ones that they'd recommend that they know are available in the local area and also they may just be able to discuss in a little bit more detail the issue with your dog skin with you somebody says would you ever use a dog shampoo on your own hair Jane, uh, the reason she asks, this listener asks, is do you remember her sister one day by mistake visiting somebody else's house and there was do- there was shampoo she thought was normal shampoo inside in somebody's jar and turned out to be dog shampoo. She didn't have any reaction, but she's just wondering, is it very bad to use a dog shampoo on a human? Yeah, well, look, I, I must admit <laughs> I've had to on a few occasions. Oh, there you, you know, go. Such, such, yeah, Needs such, must. Such the joys of, of being a vet. Sometimes you get very mucky inside in the clinic and, you know, emergency <laughs> measures required. Um, so I have done it <laughs> what I will say is I, I probably wouldn't recommend it long term the same advice goes for dogs and, and humans although I'm you know I'm not medical I would assume from a scientific background that let's say having a pH that was different in the shampoo would be also let's say if we used a dog shampoo that was suited to their skin their bacterial flora their pH it probably wouldn't suit a human too well I would expect now this is this sounds like a kind of a funny question, but it's not. It is it is completely um, a serious question. A listener says, "I got a cocker spaniel who has absolutely no interest in female dogs. Constantly tries to hump male dogs. Is it possible that a male dog can be gay? Has Jane ever heard of that?" I have. It's a very interesting area of behavioural medicine. Um. I I suppose there's always a huge amount of natural variation. We know that throughout the species, um, be they dogs, cats, domesticated species, those that are out in the wild and wildlife, some of them do seem to have different preferences and certainly seem to engage in slightly different behaviours sometimes. So it's difficult to say. We'd always love to just be able to ask them a question and then to have a voice and for it to be able to give us an answer. So I'm afraid, unfortunately, I can't give you a straight answer on this one. But what I can say is it is it is definitely possible. Yeah, yeah. We had somebody yeah. who worked here as well and they were trying to breed a dog and just was not uh, yeah. interested. And a five-month-old puppy digging up flowers in the garden. Will he grow out of it? <laughs> Oh, I hope so, for your sake. <laughs> it is really frustrating when they're starting to dig up your beautiful beautiful garden. Um, a lot of the time, they're just trying to investigate things. What I will say, though, is although sometimes it may be harmless and although it is quite annoying for you to have your garden dug up, sometimes it can actually be a bit of a dangerous thing. So particularly bulbs are the biggies. So when we all come around to planting our spring bulbs, when it gets to kind of later on in the year, they can actually be very dangerous if they get dug up and eaten by dogs and cats. They can be toxic and 
it can cause kidney failure. So what I would suggest is it's really now a good time at this stage. You may grow out of it to a degree, but it's good to start discouraging the behavior now. And the best way to discourage the behavior is to funnel that kind of instinct for digging and playing and exploring things with his nose and mouth into something safe. So what I would suggest is other kind of dog safe toys, things that you can maybe stuff with a little bit of food for them to kind of investigate in a similar way. And I think really a good thing in this situation might be something called a snuffle mat. So these are little mats with lots of pieces of fabric that are dog safe. So they're safe to be around dogs, but you can hide things inside in the snuffle mat. The classic thing that people would do is hide little dog nuts in there or little treats. And that may engage the same part of your, your dog's brain that they're trying to fulfill by digging up things in the garden because they'll be able to dig at the snuffle mat and snuffle around with their nose in the same way that they might be trying to do with their flowers. So try and redirect that natural behaviour into something a little bit safer and also safer for your garden. Okay. All right. Listen, have a great week and we'll chat to you next Thursday. Thank you for that. You too. Thank Thanks you very much. Thanks for joining Patricia. us. That is uh, Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital, part of the Mill Street Veterinary uh, Group. Some of your uh, final texts coming in. I mentioned that Irish Water, uh, while they're not uh, as of yet uh, putting water restrictions in place, they are worried that if we don't get some decent rain soon uh, we could be facing problems into the future. James and Rascarby says, Hi Patricia, I just came in on your item about water restrictions as I was working. I've got a very simple solution for that problem. If we could create mini dams to slow down the flow of water, it could be done by placing big stones, rocks across the rivers, approximately two to three feet high. By doing so, you slow down the flow of the water and you also at the same time create habitat for the fish. Life in the rivers, it is a no-brainer and it would be a win-win situation. Sir James in Roscarbury. This sister says, Hi Patricia, Irish Water want people to go easy on watering their gardens, etc. That the water is going low. I'm in Dramina, just above the cottage pub as you're going into Charleville. There's a water break there for the last week or so just flowing away down the side of the road. They should get their own water breaks fixed before they start asking other people to conserve water. It is a joke. And Jay in Mugstown said there's water coming down the mountain year in, year out. That could be saved in time of a drought. And then on the issue of how some people were treated in our nursing homes and in our hospitals during COVID times, Baz in Bantry says on care and nursing homes. Who gave those orders as to the treatment of patients? Was it government policy? Was it HSE policy? Because they were all operating the same policy in all of the facilities from what I can understand. People were treated like pariahs who meant nothing. And that was the cause of relatives feeling guilty in some way when their loved one passed away, particularly when they passed away on their own. Shameful and beyond my and I'm sure everyone's understanding of dignity. Make sure you join us tomorrow morning, Friday at about 20 past 11 for the start of a new series of features called Hours to Protect. We'll be joined by Friends of the Earth and why we need to become greener and more sustainable. Also, we'll be asking, do you recycle correctly? Advice on recycling. 
and all you need to know about refitting your home that's kicking off tomorrow a new feature on the programme called Hours to Protect that's where I leave you for today thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you tomorrow morning at at 10 o'clock for another edition of the programme and of course you can always email the programme when we're not here you can email Cork today at c103.ie Cork today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie